but he knows. <laughs> hey, you can look at your daddy and say, boy, daddy, I just love the Lord. But he knows. You can look at mama and say, just got done reading my Bible and praying. But they know. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can stand up during the church service and say, boy, it is just so good to be saved. But everybody knows. Every pastor is faced with that dilemma. It's not a bad dilemma, Brother Norris, but every pastor is faced with that dilemma. If you've got a church where the Spirit of God moves sometimes, that if testimonies start, you know, do you preach? When do you preach? What do you do? That kind of stuff. But every church has got handful of those folks that when they testify, it's time to preach. Now, I'm not being ugly. Why is that? Because everybody knows. Hey! Everybody knows. Let's pray. Father, I sure do need your help tonight. And I beg you now, God, please, please, Lord, would you help us. And would you change us tonight by the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Most of you, not, not everybody, but most of you know my family a little bit. And most of you, if you don't know Joshua, you know somewhat about him. Joshua is 17 and a half years old and Brother Barton about 16 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. Of course, the first four or five years of Joshua's life, we didn't know really what was going to go on, what was going to take place. And so we were back and forth to many doctors. And on a particular week, we had taken Joshua to Huntsville, Alabama to see a particular doctor, not about his hearing, but about other physical problems to see if he could help us. So we, on our way, we were traveling early in the morning. We stopped by Chattanooga and we picked out a place, got us a room. We were going to Huntsville, coming back to Chattanooga, spend the night before we came home. Well, we were on our way back from Huntsville and we got on I-24 coming toward Chattanooga and we hit a a traffic jam, worst I've ever been in by far. Uh, Traffic came to almost a complete stop. We were in that traffic jam for about three or three and a half hours. As we came to a stop, there were many, many folks who were traveling that night and heading into Knoxville uh, to see the Tennessee Volunteers play football. And so as we stopped, a lot of people got uh, stopped who were on their way to the football game. And there was one particular vehicle that caught my attention. There was a solid white, brand new Chevrolet Suburban that was in the right lane right beside of us, Brother Barton, as we stopped. It was uh, winter time. The wind was blowing about 20 miles an hour and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 degrees. It was bitter cold. It was terrible. I was worried to death about us being stopped and I kept checking my gas and of course Joshua had to eat a little more regular than normal babies do. But uh, 
it caught our attention as me and my wife were looking and we this this suburban not that unusual except it caught our attention because from the front to the back brand new vehicle at that time probably about $40,000 which would be somewhere around a $60,000 car now and from front to back that nice vehicle was covered in Tennessee volunteer stickers. They were on the windows. They were on the side of the car, the back of the car, the front of the car. They were everywhere. It wasn't just that. They had put in the windows those little things that stick up when you hold the, when you roll the wind up. They had stuck those up. And that was all amazing. It really caught my attention. But what was even more amazing was there were two couples, obviously, in the car. The two men were in the front seat. They seemed to be carrying on a normal conversation. But in the back seat, I'm talking about now between 20 and 25 degrees and the wind blowing about 20 miles an hour, there were two ladies in the back seat. They had the windows down for two hours and white and orange pom-poms hanging out the windows. They were screaming about how much they love the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, I'm not here to preach tonight against you loving a football team or anything like that. I'm not here to preach against the volunteers. That has nothing to do with what I'm preaching. But here is the amazing thing to me. It's not unusual to see folks who are that way. I don't know how many people saw them that day I don't know how many people looked at them. Some thought they were crazy. Some thought they were really, really excited. Others had different things go through their mind. But you know what? Everybody thought who saw that car. They thought, man, them folks love the Tennessee Volunteers. Now here's the amazing thing to me that I will go to the house of God or live my life day to day. I weep sometimes. I shout sometimes. I rejoice sometimes. I made a decision several years ago that I was going to give my life lock, stock, and barrel to Jesus Christ. I'm trying to serve Him. I'm having a good time while I'm doing it. But the world who lives like that wants to look at me and call me a fanatic. They want to call me crazy. They want to look at me and say, why are you getting so excited? Why is it that you're so tore up that you have so much to say about Jesus Christ? Well, can I say tonight, I want to be a fanatic for the Lord. I want people to recognize who I'm serving. When people mention my name, I want it to be known that I'm in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. My Bible said, but if any man love God, it is known of him. So everybody knows. You say, boy, preacher, you're talking about me. You don't have to say that. Everybody knows. Hey, we're not trying to give a demonstration tonight. I'm not trying to ask you to show me. Everybody already knows. Now the word fanatic means this. A person marked or motivated by an extreme, listen now, unreasonable enthusiasm. That's a fanatic. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought what was going on in that Chevy that night was unreasonable. <laughs> but if I would got out of my car while we were stopped, knocked on the door of that Suburban and said, excuse me, ma'am, what's your favorite football team? <laughs> She'd have probably been out in the road. Showed me one of the cheers from the football game and saying, go Tennessee. Now, a fanatic is a person motivated by an irrational enthusiasm. Winston Churchill said, a fanatic is a person who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. The Bible tells us if any man love God, it is known of him. A fanatic is defined as a fiend, an enthusiast, a partisan, an ardent or enthusiastic supporter of some person or cause. Amen. Now the Bible tells us if any man love God, it is known of him. Uh, there are some that are fighting the urge tonight to stand up and say, I love him. Hey, everybody knows if any man love God, it is known of him. Now I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject, the fruits of a fanatic. How can you tell if somebody's a fanatic? Number one, let me say, you can tell a fanatic by his conversation. You get around somebody who loves a particular team or a particular thing or a particular work and it's all they want to talk about. It's all their conversation. Their whole life is wrapped up in that particular thing. They just want to talk about it again and again and more and more. You've been around those folks who they're talking to you about the team and about their record and how it's going and you finally manage to escape and they're looking for somebody else. They find somebody else and they want to talk to this couple about it. Hey, did you see that game and did you do this? And, and did you, they want to talk about it. Hey, man. Hey, they cannot quit talking about their team. Hey, the Bible said... If any man love God, it is known of him. Why? Because it becomes a part of your conversation. 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know what a fanatic wants to talk about? They want to talk about the members of the team. Oh, hallelujah. And they're not running down the members of the team. They're talking good about them. Now, they may not have the best shortstop, but they like him best. Amen. They may not have the best catcher, but they like him best. They may not have the best team, but they like their team best. Amen. Hey, can I tell you something, Dad? Can I tell you something, young lady, young man? Oh, we've been at the same church 22 years. I've been pastoring the same church 22 years. Three of my children have already come up to our Sunday school. I got three more on their way through. Uh, can I tell you, every Sunday school teacher has not always done everything right, 
but none of my children heard me say anything about it. Amen. Are you hearing me? They, they talk about their team, their members, like it's the very best. Amen. Hey, can I tell you, you're not going to hear me anywhere uh, running down the Baptist church. You're not going to hear me down here tonight uh, running down the Georgetown Baptist church. I don't go across the country running them down. Hey, that's my team, praise God. But we're on the same team. We're paddling the same boat. We're moving the same direction. Oh, none of us are perfect but hallelujah we are serving a perfect savior they like to talk about their good members they like to talk about their good memories amen talk about what's been going on Whoa. did you know if their team loses a game they want to talk about the last one they won Hey, man, that don't deter them. It don't shake them up. Hey, man, y'all got destroyed yesterday. Yeah, I know, but last week, did you see how good we did? Whoa, praise God. Hey, did you see what happened? Did you see how big we won? Hey, man, you say, well, uh, you know, that wasn't a real good team. It's a W, wasn't it? That's right, praise God. Hey, can I tell you everything don't go good all the time at the house of God? Everything that happens inside the church, we don't want to run an ad in the paper about it or go down the road and brag about it. But there's always something good. But there's always something great. There's always something good to talk about when you're talking about Jesus. If any man love God, it is known of him. Can I tell you? People know. Amen. Let me ask you something, young lady. Young man, look up here at me. Would the movies you watch tell others that you're a fan of the Lord Jesus Christ? Woo. You want to have revival? You want to have revival? Go down to uh, go down to the video store and have everybody run off a copy of their rental history. Amen. Get everybody to show you their movie tickets of all the movies they've been to see. Amen. See, we got some young people who like to sing in our churches and they like to talk about how much they love Jesus. But they'll go sit down in a movie theater and listen to a bunch of cursing and watch a bunch of filth and wade out in a bunch of a, a bunch of sewage yep. and then come in the church smelling that way and expect their loud singing or their pretty voice to override the odor. Yeah. Whoop, whoop, amen. Hey, you can pretend a lot of things, but you cannot pretend to have a touch of God on your life. Amen. Hey, you can pretend a lot of things, but that has to be real. There is no way out of it. Amen. Now, can I tell you, there, be, there are times you've got a touch of God on you and people don't recognize it. But when you don't, everybody recognizes it. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And when you don't consistently, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Did everybody hear me tonight? I'm not preaching on how to go to heaven when you die. 
This ain't a salvation message. This is a message about fanatics. Hey, did I ask you the, the movies that you watch, young people, do they point others to the fact that you're a fan of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I didn't ask you if you was a fan of your church or a fan of your pastor or a fan of some evangelist. I mean, that's where we're at now. That's where we're at. It, it, the Christianity's become a popularity contest, young people. Everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be everybody's favorite. Woo! Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, listen, it's getting harder and harder to find anybody to come preach a revival. You know why, young people? Because most of these men, they come in and they want to get the most Bibles, signatures in their Bible, their names in Bibles, and they want to leave being your favorite preacher. A few years ago, he was a dear friend of yours, Brother Barton, Brother Ralph Sr. I got real close to him first last few years before he died, and he, here's what he told me. He said, son, God's starting to open some doors for you and use you in some meetings. I said, boy, preacher, I appreciate it. He said, let me tell you what your job is. I said, okay, please. He said, the Bible says at the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He said, too many preachers go to preach a meeting and they go into a church to become that church's favorite preacher. He said, your job is to go in and repeat what that pastor's been preaching, to be that second witness and walk out the back door when you're done with everybody recognizing their pastor as their favorite preacher. Woo! Hallelujah. Amen. And glory to God. That's right. Amen. Hey, I'm telling, can I ask you now, young people, the movies you see, do they tell folks you're a fanatic? They ask you about the music you listen to. Amen. I'm not talking about your parents' music. It's bad enough. I'm asking you, young lady, I'm asking you, young man, does the music you listen to tell others that you are a fan of the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I, I know, I know, listen now, we can have a fit. Boy, we can have a time tonight if I preach against that rap music and if I preach against that rock music. Amen. Boy, we can have a time these parents will be shaking their yeah. young people's yeah. arm. Yeah. Amen. But I think we'll hit that old, that old golden calf. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that yeah. wicked, vile, evil, yeah. ungodly, yeah. straight out of yeah. hell, yeah. filthy country music. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Everybody hear me say wicked, vile, ungodly, yeah. straight out of the pits of hell, country music. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm telling listen. You, you, can't, you can't listen to music about drinking alcohol all week long and then come get a drink out of the fountain. And enjoy yourself. Amen. Amen. We're, we're listening, talking about wife swapping and all that filth going on. God help us. And, and you've got those pictures in your room. You got those pictures in your room of those vile fornicators? 
those wicked drug addicts and drunkards. Amen. Hey, dads, you need to visit the bedroom. Hallelujah. You say, well, it's their room. Not as long as it's in my house. Hey, over at, the, over at 249 Roberts Road, I pay the light bill. I buy the groceries. I make the house payments. I make all the decisions. Amen. You say, well, I'm afraid something will happen. <laughs> Listen, man, there's all kind of boxes out there they can live in. And listen, I'll even let them stay in a box on my property. But not, listen, they can, carry their, they can carry their little poster out to their pasteboard box. Hey, can I ask you the music that you listen to? The manners that you exhibit, do they tell folks? Do they tell folks? What about your language? Let, let's let's have meeting tonight. Let's have um, let's go down the pews, and we'll flash on a screen like we do a missionaries, the text of some of our young ladies and young men for the last month. We'll flash up some of the stuff they've been texting. We'll flash up some of their tweets. Let's flash up some of the posts on their Facebook. Amen. Now let me tell you something, Dad. I love you. And I, and, and I know that you're, everything bombards you, but if you've got a young person in your house that has anything, any kind of phone, any kind of social thing, and you don't randomly drug test that thing. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And you don't randomly read everything that's on there. That's good. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Need to put a sign over your front door that says all signs subject to random testing, all phones subject to random testing. Amen. Amen. If you find a bunch of stuff that's really bad, see if it can float. <laughs> oh, amen. Amen. You say, well, it's their phone. Are they living in your house? Most of you are paying the stinking phone bill. <laughs> Amen. Yes, can I tell you that fanatic is known by his conversation. You know what a fanatic does? They want to turn other people into fanatics for their time. They're all, now listen, I know you kind of like this team over here, but man, we got the team. Hey, man. Look, you got to come over here and join our team. Listen, I'll I tell you what I'll do. I'll buy you your first shirt. Hey, <laughs> man. Hey, i tell you what I'll do. Let's, I'll pay and buy the tickets. We'll go to the first game. I want you to see just how good it is to be a fan of our team. A fanatic's known by his conversation. Secondly, let me mention this. A fanatic's known by his cost he's willing to pay. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, young people said, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. Brother Barton, several years ago, it got to eating at me a little bit. 
And uh, preacher, I went to all of the older folks in my church and I just asked them, I said, let me ask you something. Did, did anybody call you a teenager? And they got to thinking about it. And they said, you know, preacher, I never thought about it. But they called us young people. And I got to researching that thing a little bit. And you know when we started calling them teenagers? In the early 60s. When the rock music crowd came in. We started calling them teenagers. And here's what we've done in America. We've created a special group of people. And you become one of these people when you turn 13. And you remain one of these people until you become 20. And everything you do and everything you say and everything in your life during those years carries no consequences. Nobody expects anything from you. Hey, listen. Hey, are you? Li- I, I'm not preaching against school, but you know what's happened to those stories we used to hear from years ago, where daddy died or mama died or both, and then we had a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old who had to quit school, got jobs, reared them their brothers and sisters with the same quality rearing that their parents would have. Amen. And now we've got girls and boys that are 15, 16 years old. God help us. we got young men supposed to be in their early 20s. They don't even know how to feed themselves. Now, 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 mama's going to need another $20 to make your car payment. Don't you know he's going to make a good husband? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Brother Dodson, these boys, these young men that their mama's having to cut the grass, I'd have to make myself spit on them if they're on fire. Your sister's mowing the grass. What is wrong with you, son? What, your mom? You say, I'm, th- I'm praying about getting married. Your mama's still picking up your underwear. Your mama has to go behind you and flush a stinking toilet, son. Woo, we're having church now, praise God. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Amen. Some of you girls, 15, 16, 17, if you got married, unless your husband could afford to eat out, he'd starve to death. Oh, preacher. Preacher, I can open a can. People don't eat out of cans. Dogs do. People don't eat out of cans. Dogs do. Amen. Praise God. Woo! Hallelujah. Hey, listen, you want to marry a man and turn him into a man, you learn to cook. Amen. Hallelujah. Fanatics known by the cost he's willing to pay. I believe we're expecting too little out of our young people. Did you know if you got a job, you're supposed to be a tither? 
If you're making any money, you ought to be giving to missions. Woo, hallelujah. Hey, what is our, what's happened to us that we have become so cheap on God that, hey, that fanatic, doesn't matter to him what the tickets cost. He is going to the game. Now listen, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not being critical. Please, I'm not being critical. I don't golf because I'm right with the Lord. I, I'm not being critical. I'd said that with all the love I could. Amen. No, I just don't golf because it seems stupid. But, but if you golf, that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. But I was in a meeting a few weeks ago down in South Carolina, and we were about 45 minutes away from, uh, I forget the name of the town now, somebody can help me, where the U.S. Open was this year. Pinehurst, yeah, we were about 45 minutes away. There's one of them liberals who said that. <laughs> Amen. Just kidding, just kidding. But, but the preacher, he was a golfer, and so he asked me, he said, uh, he said I, I'm going to go over and watch them practice. I said, wow. Man. He said, would you like to go? I said, sure. I'll ride with you. And so we were going to fellowship. And uh, we went over there. And, and listen now, this is Wednesday. The U.S. Open starts on Thursday. Okay? This is Wednesday. So we're buying tickets to get in to see them practice. Now the per, the the pastor had somebody had given him a ticket, but he was buying me a ticket to get in. And I'm glad we wasn't going Dutch. <laughs> Brother Dotson, it was sixty bucks to get in. I'm talking about that's a that's the bottom rung of the ladder ticket. There was some other tickets. I didn't even ask. I was getting nauseated as it was. <laughs> they, said, they said, man, we're going to watch these guys practice. I said, where's the ball bats? You can't get them golf balls to go anywhere without a ball bat. <laughs> so we walked around that place for three hours. Sixty bucks. Sixty bucks. And we walked around for three hours watching these guys practice. It was a blast. <laughs> now, what's so amazing? What's so amazing is there's a handful of men sitting in here saying, Man, I wish that had been me. 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 And that's fine. I'm pleased. I'm, I'm, I'm joking around a little bit, but that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying golf and all that kind of stuff. But the, the situation is, here's what we've done. We've given our young people $20 to go have a good time. Even good young people doing good things, we give them $20 on Friday night to go enjoy something with their youth group. And then when Sunday morning comes, we'll give them two quarters to go to Sunday school. And
And then we let them watch us put our tithe check in three Sundays. And you think they don't notice when the plate goes by and is left empty that fourth Sunday? Hey, young lady, if you have a job where you make $10 a week, a dollar of that belongs to the Lord. Young man, if you've got a job where you're making $30 a week, are you hearing me now? You better understand a fanatic is known by his willing to pay the price. <clears throat> now, not only is no price too high, but when we're talking about a fanatic, there's no place too far. Well, you know, your team's playing. You can't drive out there. Oh, no, we're going to fly. We're going to fly and we're going to get motel rooms and we're going to stay because we're not going to miss this game. How long has it been, preachers, since we found ourselves on that church member's prayer list begging God to call missionaries? Begging God to send families? How long has it been since any of our parents said, Lord, take one of my children? See, we've got limits on how far we're going to go. And the world knows it. See, the problem in America tonight, young, young people, look at me now, the problem in America tonight is not in Washington, D.C. as much as we'd like to say it is. It's not in Hollywood. It's not in Nashville. The problem in America, young people, is in our churches. It's us. We are the problem. The problem is we want to talk. We don't want to be heathen. We don't want to be stark raving mad out there in the world. But we do not want to sell out and serve God with everything we have. <clears throat> Young lady, look at me. Young man, I need you to give me your attention. God is not trying to take stuff away from you. God is not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to take away all your fun or take away all the stuff you enjoy. God's trying to give you the best life you could possibly have. And the only thing standing in the way is you won't turn loose of a few little piddling things that don't really matter. A fanatic is known by his conversation. A fanatic is known by his cost, he's willing to pay. Thirdly, let me say, a fanatic is known by his clothing. Did you know most fanatics, you can tell what they are by looking at them? When Jonathan was younger, um, <clears throat> he had a baseball coach. Good guy, good guy. But he was, he, he coached Jonathan's baseball team. He was a Clemson fanatic. This guy wore orange cap every time you saw him. An orange shirt. He had orange shoes with a tiger paw on the side of them. He wore orange pants part of the time. And he drove an orange Ford Escort. He, he was a fanatic. And you could tell by his outward appearance what he was. Can I say tonight, 
But I fear that's what's going on in the world today. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Notice this. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now everybody give me your attention, young lady, young man. You say, well, see, right there it is. That's, there's, our con- there's our text. Preacher, the Lord don't look on this outward appearance. It doesn't really matter. The Lord don't look on that. He looks on our heart. There's only one problem with your reasoning. I'm not trying to win the Lord. I'm not trying to impress the Lord. I'm not trying to get the Lord's attention. He's, he loves me as good as he could ever love me. His love is unchanging. It's perfect. Amen. But I am trying to affect a lost world. And they are looking on the outward appearance. They cannot see my heart. They wouldn't understand it if they did. They wouldn't know how to read it. The Bible tells me I don't even know my own heart. How can the world read my heart or know my heart? They look at my outward appearance and they judge who I am and what I am based on what they see. And can I tell you what they're seeing is not very impressive. I fear, listen, the context. Let me give you this, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Uh, The Bible said in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with bordered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, I don't work to get to go to heaven. That's settled. I'm trying to work a little because I am going to heaven. I'm not trying to pay the Lord back. I could never get that done. But I sure don't want to go empty-handed. And the context here deals with the fact that the world sees my outward appearance. Now, let me ask you this. Men, young men, listen to me a minute. Just know, I'm not going to go into any deep stuff and I'm not going to try to straighten you out on nothing. That's not my job. But just knowing what you know about the Bible. When people look at you, do they think, man, that's a Christian? They think, boy, I wonder if he's a Christian. You know, he just, he appears, you know, for a while, for a while, Pastor, we didn't even have to talk about haircuts because it was a fad. It, it, was, it was okay to have your hair cut. Now, God help us. It's still a shame for a man to have long hair. It's still a shame for a man to have long hair. And a man who has long hair, I don't care. I don't care if he is standing behind a glass pulpit he don't look like a Christian. Amen. God help us skinny jeans. Yeah. 
I, I, knew, I knew what I was preaching. Did you see a, a couple of times while he was preaching, Brother Dotson put his hands in his pockets? These bunch of boys don't even know about that. All they can get is about that much of their fingers because they can't even reach their pockets. Skinny jeans. You say, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute, preacher. You ain't got no skinny jeans. What in heaven would I do with it? Do I look like I can wear anything skinny? And don't answer that, smart aleck. God help us. Skinny jeans and long hair and clear podium and a stool and a little table to share. I'm telling you, we've created a generation, a generation of church young men that act like and look like sodomites. And one of our problems is it's too easy to step across the aisle and become one. Amen. (laughs) Pull your britches up. Amen. Listen to me. Uh, now, I, I've got some brethren, and I love them. I love them. Listen, I love them. I've got some brethren who preach it's a sin for a man to have a beard. Now, I love them, but they're wrong. They, they're wrong. But I tell you, if a man's going to have a beard, it ought to be, it ought to be cleaned up. Oh, uh, listen, nobody's impressed with your duck look. Listen, some of these guys in the churches, they could have a duck land on their, under their chin and nobody would know it. <laughs> hey, listen, is everybody... Now, I'm making you laugh a little bit. This, this, serious, this is serious business. This is serious business. Oh, my soul, man. Listen, I... Oh. I wasn't raised right, preacher. I used to dream of getting in a fight with a boy wearing a necklace. It's hard to fight if you can't breathe. Woo! Amen. Oh, my soul. You say, well, don't you fight fair? Ain't no such thing as a fair fight. And I'm telling you something, man. If I, if I get in a fight ever with a man with earrings, he better hope to the Lord his earlobes ain't got no feeling in them. Because them earrings are coming out and I ain't taking them back off of them. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. That's good. Amen. You say, preacher I, preacher, I don't think it's a big deal. Well, then don't do nothing about it. Did I, did I mention I'm not preaching about how to go to heaven? I'm preaching about how to affect a lost world that's fixing to drop in. Hey, the world's going to hell at a record alarming rate. And there's never been a time that moderate Christianity was okay, but if there ever was a time, we're way past it now. We're way past it. We're way, hey, we're way past it. I mentioned a minute ago, 
here's, here's where we're in trouble. We're losing, we're losing church people. We're losing church people in Bible-believing churches because they're going to places because there's no dress code. Hey, I mentioned that golf a minute ago. You know what the preacher told me? He said, here's how you better dress so they won't let you in. He said, now ain't nothing wrong with wearing a pair of jeans as far as I know. If, you, if there is, you tell me and I'll tell my wife to fix it. But I'm just kidding. Okay? Are you listening? But he said, you can't wear jeans. I said, don't let them people tell me how to dress. I'm a Baptist. You say, well, is a dress standard really that big a deal? I'm preaching through the book of Jonah on Wednesday nights. Brother Barton, I saw something this Wednesday night that I'd never seen. Now, it's several places in the Bible, but the Word of God said that when the king got word about Jonah's preaching and the people got word, heard Jonah's preaching, the Bible said they, that they fasted and they put on sackcloth. Did you know to humble ourselves before God, the Bible obviously is dealing, number one, we must deal with our appetite. Number two, we must deal with our appearance. Oh, now wait a minute, preacher. I don't think it really matters. Well, you are in the overwhelming majority, but I'm telling you there's a group of fanatics that it does matter to Ladies, just knowing, ma ma'am, young lady, listen to me. Just knowing what you know about the Word of God. Would people looking at you, their first impression be that you're a Christian? Just knowing what you know about the Bible. <clears throat> Can I tell you, Brother Norris, it's a pitiful thing. When I go to preach revival places and while ladies are singing on the platform, I have to look down. While ladies are singing in the choir, I have to look down. Now, ladies, I, I ought to be able to look at you while you're singing without having to feel like, oh, I need to apologize to my wife. <laughs> Had a young man in our church <clears throat> grew up there hearing this kind of preaching and had a young lady from a somewhat liberal church that started talking to him and they were talking a little bit. And she said, I'm going to come to your church Sunday night. So she came in, sat down beside of him in one of them short skirts he was sitting there all uncomfortable and in a few minutes he leaned over and said uh, do, you want, do you want to take my jacket and lay it across your lap needless to say that relationship was over yeah. <laughs> hey ladies are you hearing me they ought to be they ought to be able to look at us and know Ma'am, the first thought when people look at you shouldn't be the shape of your body. 
It shouldn't be the depth of your makeup. And I'm not preaching against, listen, I'm, I'm as against this foolishness that some men do making their wives look horrible to try to look godly. That don't look godly. That just looks like you don't take care of your wife, sir. I said that don't look godly, sir. It looks like you don't take care of your wife. Amen. But I'm telling you, when, when, when that outward appearance jumps out at everybody, as something they're going to remember about your body or your hairstyle or your face rather than your Christianity, there's a serious problem. Let me give you this and I'm done. A fanatic is known by his commitment. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the Bible said, watch ye stand fast in the faith. Notice this, quit you like men. Be strong. How does a man quit? He don't. How does a man quit? A man quits the stuff he shouldn't do. A man looks at himself in the mirror. Hey, young man, a man looks at himself in the mirror and says, here's what, important, what is important. Here's what does not matter. I'm going to turn loose of what does not matter and I'm going to cling to what is important. Young ladies, a young lady of character who is a fanatic. Did I mention People know. A young lady of character who's a fanatic for Jesus will look at herself in the mirror. I believe it was Andrew Murray. I believe it was Andrew Murray. Said he got up early every morning, walked to the mirror, looked at himself in the mirror and said, what are you up to today? Pretty good way to start the day. A young lady like that will look at herself in the mirror and say, we're going to decide what matters and we're going to cling to what's important. My uncle, <coughs> he's, uh, he's been an Atlanta Braves fan as long as I've been alive. I can remember, I can remember, Pastor, when I was just a little boy. And the Braves never won. He'd drive to Atlanta. Listen, tickets were five bucks a piece. He'd drive to Atlanta. He wore his Atlanta cap. He wore his Atlanta shirt. He, he was a fan during all the bad times when people laughed at him. They said, who's your ball team? He'd say, the Braves. They'd laugh at him, man. They'd laugh at him, make fun of him. Didn't bother him. He was a fan. And when they lost a game, he was just as excited about the hit that they did get as he was about the walk-off homer that won another game. Why? Because he's a fan. He was a fan during the good times and the bad times. And did you know a real fanatic is totally committed? A fanatic is a person, I've read this to you already, motivated by an almost irrational enthusiasm. It's almost like it don't make any sense. You say, preacher, you mean to tell me the shape the church is in in the year 2014, you're still excited about being saved? Oh, see, you're looking at the wrong thing. First of all, the church ain't in that bad a shape. As Charles Spurgeon said, 
He said, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Hey, man. Hey, these rumors about how bad a shape the church is in have been greatly exaggerated. But I'm not a fanatic over the church. Some of the closest friends I've got in the world are in this building, but I'm not a fanatic over my friends. And the one I am a fanatic over has never lost a battle. Winston Churchill said, a fanatic is one who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. In spite of the length of the conflict, they're still a fanatic. In spite of the losses in the conflict, they're still a fanatic. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna close right here. Young ladies, young men, let me ask you something. Are you here because somebody made you come? Are you doing what you're doing because this is what you're doing for this little space of time? Young ladies, young men, you from Georgetown, is this the real deal for you? Or is this just something that's a result of a week of camp and going to some meetings and getting excited? Are you in this thing for the long haul? Young man, Young lady, what about you? What, what, what are you going to do? Because mark this down now. As the old country preacher said, we're about to face some times that's going to separate the brush from the big wood. <laughs> hey, young man, young lady, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? When those people start finding fault in the preacher, when they start, start not liking what's going on. When the enemy circles. You say, well, you think that might happen? I didn't say if it happens. I said when it happens. You say, preacher, you're going you're gonna to run these young people off. You're going to scare them to death. Listen, we've not, we've, we've not realized that they are stronger than we think they are. Did you know if you expect nothing out of somebody, you'll get it every time? Young man, who are you going to be a fanatic for? Who are you going to be a fanatic for? Years ago, I read a story and I'm done. What what do you want to do for the invitation, Pastor? Years ago, I read a story. I believe it was in the 1920s. An older gentleman in New York City, he preached on the street some. He was trying to win people the Lord. But he had a cap, a hat that he wore. And on the front of it, it said, I'm a fool for Christ. And as he would walk down the street, preacher, Folks would meet him and they would point at his hat and laugh. Ha! There's a guy that admits he's a fool. Anybody who's a fool for Christ is a fool. And they, it got their attention so greatly that as he'd walk by, they'd turn and look at him again to make fun again. And on the back of his hat, it said, Whose fool are you? 
Now, you're going to give your life to something or somebody. Most of you now are wasting it on yourself. Some of you have given it to some activity or some work. I'm asking you tonight. There's probably somebody here who needs to get saved. But I'm asking you tonight to jump off the deep end and give your life lock, stock, and barrel for Jesus Christ.